Well, hello again, my friends. Again, my name is Drew, and you might be thinking to yourself, who is that? Uh, because I am a newer face around here. Uh, for those of you who are incoming freshmen, welcome. We're kind of like in this, discovering this space together. Uh, for those of you who have been around a while, you're probably like, who is that? Uh, and so uh, let's start with an introduction. My name is Drew Walton. Uh, I guess what, oh, that's kind. Uh, I guess what we would call my role uh, at present is a lot of words. It's interim associate high school director. So basically what that means is um, I'm stepping in to be uh, sort of a functioning number two to Aaron, uh, at least through September. Uh, but for me, this is sort of a homecoming in an interesting way. Uh, I have a long and storied history with Calvary Community Church. It is my home church. It's the church that I grew up in. So like when I was a little kid, like I came to kids ministry at Calvary and like I was in adventure weeks and like VBS and that whole thing. Any adventure weeks leaders in the room? Anybody? No? Oh, well, it's great. Check it out. Good summer gig sometime. Uh, Adventure is fun. It's another day camp that we do all throughout the summer for the kids. And then, like, I was a student in middle school ministry, and I came to high school ministry, and I was in a HSM small group, and I went to the camps, and I came to the summer events and all of that. Um, and summer, or, not, well, summer, absolutely, but HSM, uh, my time as a high schooler is when God really like captured my heart. Like I was blessed to be someone who like, I knew about Jesus from a young age. I grew up in a household that praised the name of Jesus. Um, but for me, high school was when it shifted, when it got real, when it got deep, when it got personal uh, and it transformed my life. Uh, and it happened here at Calvary, uh, which is really special. When I graduated high school, I became uh, one of uh, the noble group of people called uh, volunteer leaders. We have amazing volunteer leaders here, uh, and I'm honored to have been one of them. I got to be a summer intern with HSM. Abby Hume is our current summer intern. We call her the Wintern because she is awesome. If you haven't met her yet, get to know her. Uh, but I got to be an intern in the program uh, here at HSM. I spent a year as the interim director, which meant that I was the director while we were looking for our next director of high school ministry. Uh, and then for about six years, I had the privilege of being the associate uh, high school director here until about four years ago uh, when God uh, took me in a totally different direction, put a call in my life to function as a missionary to the entertainment industry. And about two weeks ago, uh, I got a call inviting me to be here with you all. And I am so delighted to be here with you all. My heart beats uh, the people of God and my heart beats HSM. And so uh, I've been getting to meet a lot of you uh, and I continue to get to know a lot of you. DR team, I see a lot of you in the house, hyped. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. I guess what we would call me is like a prequel character. I've been around. You didn't know me because it was four years ago. And uh, now I'm here to get to know you and to dive in on uh, summer with you all. And I'm uh, happy to be here. So uh, again, we're going to have an after party after. I, I would love to meet you. But um, summer is my favorite. Summer in HSM is my favorite. I, I love summer in general. Uh, it's the best time of year. You don't have to worry about school. Life kind of like takes a different rhythm. Uh, but summer in HSM is just the best. You know, we have our summer nights. Uh, we have our after parties. We have summer camp. Is, are you guys going to summer camp? Anybody? I, I'll be there. I hear some like, whoop, I like it. Uh, come, it's going to be awesome. Uh, but summer is like, you get to hopefully, maybe some of you just have like loaded up schedules. Maybe some of you are doing summer school. Uh, my uh, condolences, if that's the case. Or like maybe you're like the person who's like, I love school, need some more in the summer. Uh, in which case, like give us some of what you got because I never had that. Uh, but um, 
I love how summer is a change of pace. It's a slower pace. There's less kind of like on our shoulders, less uh, responsibility, time constraints, all of that. We get to have fun. It's a more social time. Uh, you're making memories. You're going to camp, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but also like when I think about summer, I think about so many of the significant encounters that I've had with the Lord have happened in summer. Uh, have happened at camp, uh, where you have those sort of, like, for lack of better terminology, like mountaintop experiences, right? And for may maybe you're sitting here, and I, like, I, I talked to you earlier, and like, you're just checking things out. Like, you've never had like a, a Jesus encounter. You're not sure what you think about all of that. Uh, and maybe you're like, you're here because you're curious, um, or you're here because like a friend invited you. Um, and my hope for you is like, maybe this summer is the summer. Uh, where you experience the real thing for yourself, not, not because somebody wants you to believe a certain thing or not because, um, not for any reason other than just like you experience the real thing. And that's something that's just business between you and the Lord. Uh, and I'm so glad that you're here checking things out. Uh, if you're someone, maybe you're someone who's here and you're, you're like, I've had that experience. Like I've had those moments where it's like, yeah, I know intellectually that God is real and Jesus is Lord. But then there's like those moments where it's like, oh my gosh, you guys like, he's real, right? Like maybe you've had those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, like this is the real thing. I know that I know that I know. And I've encountered Jesus and I've had the real thing. And maybe you've been in those moments of life and then like life kind of drifts back down to normal. And you're kind of like, how do I get back to that nearness? How do I get back to that experience of like the real thing? How do I get back to the profound, to the miraculous, right? Or maybe you're praying for some sort of a breakthrough. Like you, maybe there's an obstacle in your life or a challenge that you're dealing with. And you're like, I know that God can do something about it. And I'm waiting for him to do something about it. And I hope that this summer is the time when he shows up and does something about it. Or maybe you're here and you've got someone that you care about so deeply. And you're like, I want them to know Jesus because he's so good to me and I want them to experience that. I love them and I want that for them and I've been praying for that. And I hope that this summer uh, is an opportunity and a time where that happens. That's my prayer. Um, but tonight, what we're talking about, we're in this sermon series called Iconic, right? We're looking at Jesus. If you've been around for the last few weeks, we've been in this series um, and we're looking at Jesus about who he is, about what he does, about how he operates. We're learning about Jesus and we've talked about how Jesus is the Messiah and we've talked about how Jesus is the King. Um, and tonight I want to talk about how Jesus is the miracle worker, right? Like sometimes I think we have those mountaintop experiences or we like intellectually think that they're possible, but we haven't reached them yet. And we kind of drift into this sort of like status quo faith, right? And the truth is that the Jesus that we see in scripture is a miracle worker. He does things that are not possible, that should not be possible. And so we want to take a look at that. We want to dive into that tonight. Um, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the story of Jesus's first miracle. If you've lived in like church world throughout your life, you've probably read this story before, but I want to encourage you to look at it with fresh eyes, to see what it has to say to you. And maybe you've never heard this before and buckle up. This is a fun one. We're going to take a little voyage through the word of God, but this is something that we find in the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? There, we have four books of the Bible that are called the gospels, good news, and they're accounts of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And John in chapter two tells us the story of the first time Jesus ever did something publicly that was 
miraculous. And here's what we see in the story. In John chapter two, starting in verse one, you're welcome to follow along. I hear some paper rustling, which is like, way to go, analog, I like it. Or if you have like a phone, if you wanna go digital, great. Otherwise, like we'll put it on the screen, read along. Um, But here's what it says in John chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Now in the ancient world, weddings were a big deal. It was like a long festival, like everything would kind of like shut down, everyone would congregate and it was like an ongoing party. Like if we're gonna celebrate the beginning of a marriage, we're gonna do it upright and it's gonna be huge. Think like Coachella for weddings, right? It's this whole like multiple days festival that everyone goes to. It says on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, Mary, Perhaps you know her from Christmas time. Um, And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any more wine. She just kind of goes over, she's like, Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, the party is starting to die down and I have a sneaky suspicion that it's because they ran out of wine. What a faux pas, right? Like in in ancient culture, much like I think people operate today, wine was a big deal of celebration, right? Now the Bible teaches an ethic that you have a responsible relationship with alcohol, that you have a law abiding relationship with alcohol. Um, And that if it is something that is like a problem that you cannot control, it's just like all or nothing, that you should keep a healthy relationship and a healthy distance from it. But it does teach that it's part of that culture. And especially for weddings, wine was a big deal. And to run out of wine midway through the party was a huge embarrassment and just kind of like killed the party. Imagine being at homecoming or winter formal or prom and the sound system goes down and you're just kind of like, what do we, how do we, do we go home? Like what's the protocol in a thing like this? That's the sort of like screech to a halt event that's happening at this wedding. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, goes over to Jesus and she's like, Jesus, I know that you know that I know who you are and there's a problem. It's that the wine is gone. So, right? Like she doesn't tell him what to do. She's not like, I've got a great idea for a miracle. She just brings him the problem. She's like, we're at this wedding. I know that you can do something about it. Here's the problem that you're probably already aware of. They ran out of wine. And Jesus has an interesting response. He says this to her, woman, why do you involve me? And you might hear that and think, Jesus said what? He said, woman, why do you involve me? I want to say something about this terminology. Um, Today, sadly, when you hear somebody say woman at the beginning of conversation, oftentimes the rest of that sentence is something a little bit insulting and degrading. Is that fair? Like, which... Very unfortunate. That is not the way that things should be. And I want to just say, that is not the way it was in this culture, right? Jesus isn't being rude to Mary. He's not being demeaning to Mary. In this culture, at this time, rightfully so, to say woman, to address someone as woman, was a sign of respect. It was a dignifying thing. And so I just want to say, like, when we read this, understand, Jesus is not being a jerk to his mom. He's being reverent. But here's what he says. He, he pushes back. So she says, there's no wine. I know you can do something about it. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. An interesting thing to hear from Jesus. And here's why. Because he has in his mind when his hour will come, when he wants to do his first miracle, what he wants his first miracle to be. 
He's got it all planned out. And here's Mary saying, could you do something now instead? Like it would really mean a lot to me and to all these people here if, if you could bring a miracle for us. Here's the first thing that this teaches us about Jesus is that while we do not dictate what he does, we don't get to boss him around, that he can be petitioned. He's willing to be petitioned. She comes and she asks and he considers and he goes, you know what? My hour hasn't come, but okay, this can be my first miracle. Let's do it. He can be petitioned. He's willing to hear your case. He's not like, no, shut up. I've got my plans and you just sit still, right? I think sometimes we can get in our heads of like, well, what is, what is prayer? What am I supposed to do? And he wants us to bring our things before him. He can be petitioned. Praise God. That's amazing. So here's what happens. He's like, okay. And so it says this, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, right? Again, she's not like puppet master. She's not like, I've got a plan for a miracle and I'm gonna tell you what to do. She just goes, okay, uh, you just do what he says. That's the best road forward. Um, it's an interesting pattern that we see in scripture when the miraculous happens. Here's, here's the pattern. You ask God, you ask Jesus for a miracle and he gives you a task. Interesting, right? We know that Jesus spoke all things into being, that he could just like, boom, miracle, right? He doesn't need us to do anything. But oftentimes when you ask for a miracle, he gives you a task, right? And that task isn't the thing that makes the miracle happen, but the task is important. Let's look at some examples. Okay, so you ask for a miracle, God gives you a task um, to liberate the Israels, to liberate Israel from Egypt. Moses, right, had to go to Egypt. He's a fugitive of the law at this point. Had to go to Egypt, go into Pharaoh's court and tell him that God's taking his people out of there. Jumping forward to split the Red Sea, Moses had to get in front of everybody, raise his staff and tell the sea to split. That would be really embarrassing if that didn't go well. It's like, we're about to die. And Moses is like, don't worry, guys, I got it. And then he's like, see, split. And then it doesn't. That's a tough beat. To walk on water. Peter had to get out of the boat. Imagine how embarrassing if he got out of the boat and just like plunged down beneath the surface of the water. He's like, Jesus, I'm gonna walk with you. Gets out and goes down, right? He's given a task to experience the miraculous. Jericho. Right? Maybe you've heard about the walled city of Jericho that God's giving to Israel. To take the walls down from Jericho, what they have to do? They had to march outside around the walls, playing music and yelling. That doesn't make sense, but that's the task that they're given. To survive the flood, Noah had to build an ark. Do you know how long it takes to build an ark? Do you know how long he was building before rain came? We ask for miracles and oftentimes God gives us tasks. It's an interesting thing. So let's see what the task is in this story. Mary turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. I want to show you a personal possession of mine that is admittedly ridiculous. Um, this is a water bottle that I carry around with me from time to time. Uh, and this water bottle holds a gallon of water. Anybody on the like gallon of water a day grind? Anybody? 
Has anyone tried? Yeah, I see a few of you guys. If anyone's ever tried, they say like, oh, to be like really in like peak health and hydration, drink a gallon of water a day. And if you've tried it, uh, you'll understand that that equals a lot of trips to the bathroom throughout the day. So much water going into your system. And then obviously your body like adjusts to it. Maybe you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't drink water. <laughs> I drink other things. Uh, I'd encourage you to drink water. Hydration is key. Uh, I remember a few years ago, I went to a nutritionist and I was like, hey, tell me how to like, eat well and take care of my body. And he was like, here's all the things to eat. Um, and for someone your size, Drew, I want you to daily drink one and a half gallons of water. <laughs> one and a half gallons of water. So that's this, and then another like this, which is so much water. Um, as you can imagine, lots of time in the bathroom at first. But the body has adjusted. That was a long tangent to say like, a gallon is a lot of water, right? Each one of these holds 20 to 30 Gallons, six of them. And it tells us what the vessels are made out of. They're made out of stone. Something big enough to hold 20 to 30 of these made out of stone is not something that you can pick up and move around. But here's what happens. It says, Jesus stood, and nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each one holding 20 to 30 gallons. That is about 180 gallons of water. Here's what Jesus says to the servants. Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Here's what he tells them. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. 180 gallons of it. We've got a wine problem. Jesus gives them the task. It's water. Interesting. Now here's the other thing you need to consider. Uh, at this time in the history of the world, no indoor plumbing, right? And so you would have to travel to a well to get water. You would have to get buckets. You would have to hike down to the local well, probably half a mile, maybe a mile away. Put that bucket down into a well, scoop the water, draw it up, carry it back. If you've ever tried to like carry a bucket of water, you know, you don't always have great equilibrium. equilibrium. The water sloshes out, falls over. Maybe you trip. There's, there's a whole wasted trip. You got to go back to the well. 180 gallons of water. Jesus says, fill the vessels with water. Again, a wine problem. Jesus, who speaks things into creation, the only one who can make something out of nothing, who could just go, cool, wine problem? Wine. He says, 180 gallons of water, bring it. I got a task for you. So what do they do? They have to make a decision, right? Like these servants have jobs. It's a wedding. They've, they've got things to do. They're basically the caterers. If you ever worked at a caterer, there's a lot to do at a wedding. These guys have to decide if they're going to do what Jesus says, or if they're going to try something else. But here's what it says. They did. They did it. It says, he says, I totally lost my place. Here we go. Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim, right? They didn't stop halfway. This is probably the work of at least a few hours, right? They're just stopping their tasks, hoping for a resolution of the problem. There's no precedent for it. They're not like, oh yeah, Jesus, he did all X, Y, Z. Right? They're going on belief. They're going on faith. One bucket at a time. Jesus says, fill the jars with water. It says, so they did. They filled it to the brim. They did not stop until they were finished. Imagine this, probably the story wouldn't be here, but imagine if they kind of like did it until like three of them were full or like filled them all kind of like halfway and were like, I don't know if this is working out, guys. Like, are you guys like feeling like this? Like maybe we're getting taken for a ride. And then they're like, ah, let's try something else. And they walked away. No miracle, right? It's a different story, but they didn't. 
They didn't stop halfway. They didn't lose heart. Jesus said, fill them. So they filled them. And it says, they filled them to the brim. It says, then he told them, now draw out some water. He doesn't say draw out some wine. He says, draw out some water and take it to the master of the banquet. So they've just invested hours of manual labor on faith, on belief that this Jesus could do something miraculous. They've invested hours, sweat, maybe blood. We don't know. Maybe tears, possible. They've invested. And what they see is six buckets full of water, right? And Jesus says, get some of that water and take it to your boss. <laughs> okay, we got another decision to make. Because if we take this water, if we've just, if he's like, where were you guys? And they've been like, we just spent the last few hours filling those things of water because some guy told us to. And then they bring him water and say, we solved the wine problem. If it's only water when it gets to him, they're probably in trouble. That's probably their job, maybe worse, right? So they have to decide, are we all in? Are we gonna see this thing through? Now, here's what it says they did. It says they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. See, the miracle happened. We don't know when the miracle happened in that process. We don't know if like each time the water hit the thing, it became wine. We don't know if it like happened like once they got the cup and like on their way. We don't know if it happened like the second it hit the dude, the boss's lips. Like we don't know. It doesn't tell us, right? But we do know that the miracle happened somewhere in the process. And you can, you better believe that those guys who got water from the well and now they're looking at a glass of wine, that they knew what happened in that miracle. They know who did it. They know how it happened. They're intimately involved. The, their boss, the master of the banquet, tasted the fruit of that miracle, right? He was like, yeah, problem solved, wine. But he didn't know. He didn't experience the miracle. He experienced the, the result, but he didn't see the miracle because he wasn't involved. But it says the servants who drew the water they knew, right? So we go from Mary to Jesus, Mary to the servants. The servants go to the water, they go to the master, and then the master is gonna go to someone very important. He goes to the bridegroom, right? Like the man of the hour, the groom. And here's what he says. It's actually kind of funny, I love it. It's just like matter of fact. Here's what he says to the bridegroom. He's got the wine. He's like, dang, that's good wine. I'm gonna talk to the head honcho. And so he goes to the bridegroom and here's what he says. Here's his observation about ancient world culture. He goes, so dude, Everybody brings out the choice wine, AKA the best stuff first and the cheap stuff after everybody has had too much to drink. So here's ancient strategy. Put the expensive stuff out first and then when people start to get drunk, swap it for the cheap stuff and they won't know the difference. That, that's like, that's the ancient like thought behind it. It's like, we'll, we'll just give them good stuff at the beginning and then save some money on the tail end because they won't know the difference. But here's what he says. Here's what he observes. He says, everybody brings out the good stuff first, the cheap stuff after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best until now. He goes, this is the best wine I've ever had. Supernaturally good. You save the best till now. And here's what it says. Here's how the story concludes. It says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him, right? It was the first. At the, at the top of the story, he goes, this isn't my plan for the first. And Mary says, please, essentially. And he goes, okay. And here it is recorded. It's his first miracle. Because she asked, he can be petitioned. But, we see this principle at play 
We ask for miracles and he gives us tasks usually. It's an interesting thing. And I think sometimes we sit in this place, I know I certainly do, where I'm praying for the miracle and I'm like, why aren't you just doing it, God? I know you can. When's it gonna happen, right? I'm praying for this person. Why don't you just show up? Or maybe like, I'm exploring, like I'm, I'm here, I'm wondering where you are. Like, if you really want me to know you, why don't you just make it abundantly obvious, right? Or it's like, I, I, I have this like brokenness that I feel and maybe people know, or maybe I've hidden it away so well. I've got everybody fooled, but I got this thing going on inside of me. And you tell me that Jesus can change it. Why doesn't he just do it? Maybe you feel that, right? I felt all of those things but we ask for miracles and he gives us tasks, not because he needs the tasks. The reason why is he wants our participation because he's not just about his glory. He's not just trying to like flex on us, right? He's not just like, look how powerful I am. Fear me. That's not his agenda. He created us to be in relationship with him. He wants our participation, right? It says the master of the banquet, he didn't know what hit him. He was just experiencing a good thing. He was like, hmm, good wine. On with the party, But it says the servants who brought the water one bucket at a time, who had to grapple with hope, with believing, with continuing on, doing the last thing they knew to do. They knew who Jesus was by the end of that story. They experienced him. They participated with him. That's what God wants from us. So here's the thing, you guys. I'm gonna throw a word out that I think a lot of us feel uncomfortable with, but I wanna talk about it for a second. That word is obedience. Here's here's the claim I wanna make. Obedience paves the way for the miraculous in our lives. And I think sometimes we hear obedience and we like react to it because we think like, oh, that feels like suppressive. Like someone's trying to like put me in a box or like steal my freedom. But, But true obedience, you guys, like hear me, true obedience isn't something that someone can demand from you or take from you. It's something that you and you alone can give, right? Obedience comes from, okay, I hear what it is that you're asking and I am choosing to submit to it and go along with it. I'm choosing to be obedient, right? See, God isn't this oppressive dictator who just like wants to like, put you in your place and suppress you. He wants to invite you into something. And obedience, when you trust, when you continue on one bucket at a time, doing the last thing you know he told you to do, when you continue in obedience, it paves the way for the miraculous. That's been true in my life. And I'm sure some of you, maybe a lot of you even, obedience paves the way for the miraculous. And so my question to you guys is, what is God asking you to do one bucket at a time in faith, in trust, in obedience? What's he asking? Like we believe that we're under the counsel of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. And so if you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. First of all, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to just like get into a conversation um, and talk through like, what does it mean to hear God? What does it mean to get the counsel of the Holy Spirit in the scripture? We'd love to have that conversation but what's the last thing that you know he's asked you to do, right? So for you, maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you're just checking things out. Maybe for you, like the one bucket at a time is, okay, I wanna see if this God's for real. I wanna see if there's anything to this Jesus. And my one bucket at a time is I'm gonna keep showing up. 
or I'm going to keep asking questions until I get an answer that makes sense, or I'm going to try praying, even if I feel silly, right? One bucket at a time. Maybe that's you. Or maybe for you, like you're, you're at a place where things just feel stale, where it's kind of like I've had those moments where I knew that I knew, um, but I'm in this kind of like spiritual drought and I'm just like looking for a little rain. Like maybe your one bucket is a t- at a time is like, you know what? I'm gonna keep praying. You know what? I'm gonna keep coming to the word of God even if I'm not like excited to read it. You know what? I'm gonna keep being in community. I'm gonna keep asking. I'm gonna keep obeying. Maybe for you, uh, you're stuck in a in like a self-destructive pattern. Like, let's just be really real. We're, we're, n- nobody here's perfect, right? We're, this isn't like the pretend to be perfect club. It'd be a terrible club. I wouldn't want to be in it. Um, but maybe, maybe for you, like you just got a pattern of behavior that you're like, I know this ain't good. Um, it, it feels good until it doesn't. Um, I keep hurting myself. I keep breaking my heart or breaking the heart of people I care about. And I don't know how to stop. And I'm like waiting, like, I know Jesus is miraculous. So why doesn't he just like fix it for me? What's your one bucket at a time? Maybe your one bucket is like, you know what? I need to tell someone what's going on. I just need to pour that bucket in the jar. Maybe for you, your one bucket at a time is like, you know what? I need to delete that app. I keep winding up on it. I keep telling myself I won't go back to it. And then there I am again. And I'm just gonna delete it, deactivate it. Maybe for you, it's just like, you know what? I'm just gonna commit to saying no to the next drink. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm in a place where I can make a commitment for like the rest of my life, but like my commitment is the next drink. I'm saying no. Maybe that's your one bucket at a time. Maybe it's delete that person's phone number because when you use it, it doesn't take you anywhere good. Maybe that's your one bucket at a time. Or maybe you've just been like hoping for someone, hoping that they'll encounter God or hoping uh, that their life will change or get different. Maybe you're one bucket at a time. It's just like, keep inviting them. Invite them again. Maybe you're one bucket at a time. Is uh, I've been praying. It doesn't feel like it's going anywhere, but I'm gonna keep praying for that person because I love them. Maybe you're one bucket at a time is continuing to be generous and brave, just telling your God stories. Not that like you have to get up and give like a theological dissertation on whatever, um, but just be generous with your stories, what you experience, what you know. Maybe your one bucket is like, I'm gonna keep giving this person mercy even though it feels costly, (laughs) even though it hurts too. And that's not to say that we should invite abuse, but that we need to be ongoing in giving mercy to people. Maybe that's your one bucket at a time. But here's, here's the theme is when we're waiting on the profound, when we're waiting on the miraculous, when we're waiting on Jesus, we don't stop until he shows up. If he hasn't shown up, it's not done yet. We continue one bucket at a time. As, as we're starting to close, I want, I want to leave you with a quote. Uh, it's from a book. It's, a, it's an awesome book. It's called, its title is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And here's what it says. It speaks exactly to this. Like when we're a day into, into the task, when we're a week into the task, when we're starting to question like, what, what am I working towards? What am I waiting for? Here's what, here's what it says. Hoping doesn't mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic resignation. It means going about your assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It's not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It's the opposite of desperate panicky manipulations of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming 
It's not spinning an illusion or a fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he says he will do. It's imagination put in the harness of faith. It's a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It's the opposite of making plans that we demand that God puts into effect, telling him both how and when to do it. That's not hoping in God, that's bullying God. And so here's what he says in conclusion. He says, I pray to God, my life is a prayer and I wait for what he'll say and do. My life is on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching until the morning waiting and watching until the morning. Here's what I want to say is when we get into conversations about like what God asks us to do or how God asks us to behave, I want to be careful. I want to make a distinction because sometimes we can get confused in our head and we can attribute our behavior, our performance uh, to our salvation and our right relationship with God. And that would be a wrong leap to make. Here's the reality. Our salvation, your salvation, and if you're like, what are you talking about with salvation? Again, we would love to have a conversation with you. Our salvation does not now, nor has it ever depended on our behavior, right? The Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not about your performance, right? you, You cannot behave well enough to earn it. You cannot behave bad enough to disqualify yourself from it. It is not about your behavior. But, our experience of the profound and the miraculous often does. We ask for miracles. God gives us tasks. He invites us to participate. And what if we made that ongoing process part of the culture of who we are? Like what if we were people who were devoted to continuing, to being hopeful, to being expectant, to being believing? What if? So here's what I want to do. I want to pray, and we're going to go to a time of worship. Uh, I just want to invite you um, to ask God, like, what is my one bucket at a time? Where can I start today? I don't know how to do the whole thing. What's the next thing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that you are capable of the miraculous. You're the only one that can speak and make dead things live. You're the only one who can make something out of nothing. Uh, You are a miracle worker. Um, But we ask for miracles and you often give us tasks to participate in because you want us to keep coming to you daily. You want us to stay persistent, to stay watchful, watching and waiting till the morning, watching and waiting till the morning. So Lord, um, would you speak to us? Would you help us to know what our one bucket at a time is, what is it you're asking us to be faithful to, whether it's showing up, whether it's showing up for someone, whether it's um, taking a step that we don't feel ready to take um, in hope, in expectation, knowing that you'll move. Uh, And so Lord, we love you. You're better to us than we deserve. Uh, Thanks for bringing us into this family and this community. Would you keep knitting us together to love one another, to support one another, to chase after you? Uh, Would you receive our praises? You tell us that um, you inhabit the praises of your people. And so God, we're about to praise you and we ask that you would be here in amongst us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.